This is WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, streaming online at WVEW.org. You're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. You can also find us at Facebook, Instagram, and on iTunes at Indigo Radio. And we are also replaying the show Tuesdays at 3 p.m. The views of this show are those of the guest and host, not the radio station. Indigo Radio is a group of area educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Anna Milani, and I am a current graduate student at UMass Amherst. And also relevant to this show, which is going to be talking about patriarchy, I worked at the Women's Freedom Center in Brattleboro for over six years. And I'm here with Corey. And I'm Corey Sorensen. I'm a fourth grade teacher at Guilford Central School. Today we're going to be talking about resistance to patriarchy. We have in the studio also with us guest Brad Heck, who can introduce himself, and he's going to participate in discussion about uh, some of the ways that men are organizing in the area. And we'll also be talking about the Me Too movement and airing some of the voices of this month's Men Against Patriarchy Action. Brad, you want to just introduce yourself briefly? Sure. Who you uh, are. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Brad Heck. I teach film and video studies up at Marlboro College, and I'm also a documentary filmmaker. With my partner, we're currently working on a project called the Armin Sisters, which is profiles six Native American women who are fighting to regain tribal, tribal sovereignty um, as a means to the ending violence against Native American women. Okay. And so we're going to start off with a song. Uh, this is a song by uh, Shia Diamond. Uh, Shia Diamond has always had to fight to live her truth, including in fighting to live her very she-ness. She's a black transgender woman, and that's what she does every time she walks out into the world to represent herself and amplify the voices and experiences of her community. This is her song, I Am Her. You'd probably take them off too. There's enough cats in everybody's life, and I am her. There's a shadow in everybody's window, and I am her. There's a dark cloud in everybody's sunlight, and I am her. Everybody's life. 
That was Shia Diamond. I am her. And you're listening to Indigo Radio. I am Anna. I'm here with Corey, my co-host, and also with Brad Heck. And Brad uh, was one of the people that organized this rally that happened. Was it a week ago or about a week ago, right? A little bit over a week ago. Okay. And can you tell us what was the rally? How did you organize it? And why did you feel like it was important? So, I mean, the official name of the rally was Men Protesting Patriarchy or Men Against Patriarchy. Um, And there were kind of multiple reasons that um, I decided to help organize it. One of which was, I mean, the issues that we were showing up for extend beyond any singular event. Um, However, during the wake of the Kavanaugh hearings, there were multiple women and survivors in my life who were feeling incredibly threatened um, and attacked. And so in conversations and dialogues with these survivors and these women, one of the things, the topics that just kept on coming up is this idea that men were not showing up. Men were not visibly supporting or um, showing support for uh, women, LGBTQ, um, and survivors in their community. And so part of the reason I tried to organize it was just to have a visible showing of support from the men in this community. Um, Another thing I think is that by wearing the face of the oppressor, a lot of men who are interested in issues of feminism and interested in dismantling the patriarchy suffer a paralysis because they just don't know how to balance, for example, um, taking up space um, when taking up space is a tool of perpetuating the patriarchy. And so... I used to do some work with Lost River Racial Justice, and one of the things I learned by working with them is this idea that as an ally, you need to fundamentally show up, and you need to be willing to show up even if it's imperfectly. And so I was hoping by having a group of men get together and show up, we would make mistakes, um, we would show up imperfectly, but I I was hoping that that would help catalyze other men who might be experiencing this this, uh, paralysis and, and just make a demonstration that, hey, you too can participate and join this movement in some way. Um, and then lastly, I think, and this is one of the reasons I'm so glad that Corey um, started having conversations with me before the event and since the event, um, this idea that even as um, men who maybe are not actively perpetrating the oppression of patriarchy, we are still complicit, we still benefit, and we still perpetrate it, and so, or perpetuate it. And so I think it was hopefully a first step, a springboard to future actions, and also future investigations where we turn the lens inward and think about the ways that we are complicit and responsible and accountable. Great. Thank you. I I like what you said about um, showing up even imperfectly. Yeah. Because I think that that is an important piece of this, is that we are going to mess up or stumble, Mm -hmm. but that often can... And to use another word, you said paralyze us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like that you pointed out that because I think that is important to try and keep trying because we got to figure something out. I came down to that rally and spoke with a couple people there. And so we're going to play a couple clips from the rally uh, to hear you know, why people thought it was important to show up. This is Anna from Indigo Radio, and I'm out on, where are we, Main Street and High Street. Can you tell me your name, and uh, why do you feel like it's important to be out here today? Um, my name is Gershom Moore, and I feel it's pretty important to uh, stand up uh, against how the whole patriarchal system has like put a crush on not only women and their views and their voices, but also it's kind of got men locked down to think that this is the way it's supposed to be. And it also in, in turn squashes our own voices for those of us who have been either physically or sexually abused and like have been felt like we are less for speaking about it. And oftentimes we're shunned when we bring it up to a woman when we're trying to speak in a sympathetic manner or have an understanding of what's going on with them and I believe it's a good time for us to be here so that we can merge the two and like knock down that idea of like the male you know patriarchy the whole system you know it's it's just it's sickening Mm -hmm. great thank you very much okay Cal and what your sign says Kavanaugh can you tell us about your sign and why you chose it to put that out there for people to see yeah, I mean, so there's the the scope of this uh, protest, I guess, is a lot broader than simply the 
confirmation of Kavanaugh onto the Supreme Court, but um, I guess I saw this as an opportunity to express my opposition to that. Specifically, it does feel like a concrete thing that, you know, feels like any justice, because there's just so few opportunities to actually feel like, you know, that there's been any justice. Um, and there's so many reasons to oppose him, and sexual assault is just one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, like, his opposition to the Affordable Care Act, his, like, opposition to, like, the autonomy of people with disabilities. Yeah, his career has, you know, given us ample reason to oppose, you know, to oppose his appointment. And, you know, this seems to be the, the allegations of sexual assault seem to be um, just gaining a lot of momentum, which is great because, because of the fact of what it is, as well as, you know, it's not a coincidence and it's not a surprise that somebody's politics and somebody's behavior would be so in alignment, right? Like somebody who doesn't respect civil rights and autonomy of other people, you know, is also in private not going to behave with, you know, consent. So, yeah, these are all issues that are very much interlocked. Mm -hmm. And, Wyatt, I'm just going to grab you because you're standing right here. Why do you feel like it's important for a group of men to be out here today? I think what I would like to see is men holding themselves accountable more in these types of situations. Um, I think that it's important to recognize uh, that Kavanaugh's behavior exists not because Kavanaugh just like decided to be a shitty human being but because that that there are societal norms in place that give men like Kavanaugh not only the license to do what he has done or what many men do but also um, give make it so that there is even the platform for him to for it to be a question of whether or not he is fit to serve in a very very important like a public office that determines how our laws are created I came here I guess uh, as I'm trying to do a lot of work to hold myself more accountable um, as a man and as like uh, in that like we as men or as you know like especially cis men are probably the biggest benefactors and also the biggest perpetrators of uh, gendered violence and recognizing that our complicity compl- compliance compliance in that is really important. I came here in hopes that, like, one, there would be some connection for between that those things of just showing our act, showing solidarity, and building bridges that um, allow us to better hold ourselves more accountable in ways that we recognize our own complicity, complic, compliance, compli- yeah, complicity, complicity. That- I don't know, <laughs> complicity. complicity. Yeah, complicity <laughs> with like toxic masculinity, with um, abuse and abusive behaviors, and um, I think that oh, not just othering ourselves from Kavanaugh, but rather recognizing that like there is a part of what Kavanaugh is that exists within us that we need to own and work hard to figure out. Hey Tim, why are you out here today? Well, for a long time, women have been under attack for a long, long time. When I saw Trump at the Mississippi rally and all those men and women supporting Trump behind them and women with we support Trump signs, I thought, damn, the Me Too movement needs participation by men. And, And I think the Me Too movement is one of the most important viable movements in the country. I want to see it going on and on. Just I've been involved in social action groups and I know that for social action to be successful, it needs participation from the dominant group as well as the subordinate group. Um, So that's why it's important for men to get involved in women. Finally, I have a wife and son and daughter and I want them to see me doing my part for society too. Great. Thank um, you very much. It should be a no-brainer while we're out here. Yeah. And there should be True. a lot more. Okay, and uh, that was a couple different people talking at the rally that was held last week. And I would love to ask Corey and Brad, what stood out for you in those clips? Yeah, well, the first, the first person speaking, Gershom, I thought was really important uh, points that he was making. He was saying that we should merge the two, meaning men and women, 
really, I feel like he was saying we should be working in solidarity against a, a system of patriarchy that's damaging to everybody. I think that we need to remember that patriar patriarchy is taught to both men and women and puts men in in boxes and victimizes boys and brutalizes boys and that you know it reminds me of Anna you showed up at this at the rally and you said to me after you know the part of, part of me felt kind of sad because this was a group of men standing on the corner and I wanted to be standing with you guys against Kavanaugh and against the system of patriarchy and Gershom's statements just really made me think about how this should be an act of solidarity with everybody against something that dam is damaging to us as human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was an interesting reaction I had when I was walking down. I didn't think I'd feel like that, but I went down to check it out and also to do some interviews, and I did feel kind of sad. I just thought, why aren't we all out here? Even though at the same time, I feel like it was so important to have men come out and organize and do that. So I there was a sort of a confusion with me around how I responded to it. Yeah, it's a tricky needle to thread. Um, I think that ultimately, I mean, part of actually what I think upholds and perpetrates patriarchy is the gender binary. And so I think any idea where you make an exclusive group of just men, there is a residual um, effect that in some ways we have to be really aware and conscious in what ways of solidifying or perpetuating those gender binaries are we in some ways ultimately perpetuating capitalism. Um, during the Kavanaugh hearings, when there were all these calls to um, uh, to contact your senators or your um, Congress um, folks to try to ask them to vote against Kavanaugh, 85% um, of the calls being made were by women. And so although I think that this uh, the patriarchy is something that victimizes all of us, regardless of our gender, regardless of our orientation, I think that there is also a fundamental tool to the patriarchy, which is that we put the burden of the emotional and the actual work on women. And mm -hmm. so I think that I, I would love a future where I show up at a rally against Kavanaugh or a feminist rally or some any of the rallies and see equal amount of of uh, all, all uh, equal amount of men, of women, of LGBTQ, but that's just actually not what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm hoping that this is like a catalyst or a way to start engaging men in our community so that we start doing the equal emotional work and the equal actual work on the ground. I think that's a, a really important point you bring up. Uh, I was talking to Corey before the show about working at the Women's Freedom Center and trying to change language that we use around it. And what you're getting at is this uh, notion that domestic and sexual violence is a woman's issue. And that, and it's true that women have also for, for a long time been on the front lines of that. And that honestly, it's also, you could frame it as a men's issue that men, I think you said this before, perpetrate most of the violence. I mean, that's just a fact against other men, against women, against trans women, against young boys. And so reframing it is so important that why is it that women become responsible for this? Um, and so I think that that's an important point to make. I agree. And even if it were just a woman's issue, which it's not, this is one of the conversations I keep having with people is that men aren't showing up in supportive roles for women who are acting. Men aren't coming to do ch child care or make soups or wh whatever. And one of the things that I keep telling people is that at this rally of men standing on the corner, there was a woman who brought three pizzas and another woman who brought cookies and women saying, thank you, thank you, like going by. And of all of the actions that I've been to with with uh, mostly women on the street, I've never had anybody come up and give me pizzas. And so that was really eye-opening for me as a man to, th to think, wow, look at how women are supporting us doing this one. Th it was like we're, we were literally getting handed cookies for doing something when we're, where are men when women are standing mm -hmm. on the streets? Yeah. Yeah, I had this love-hate relationship or maybe uh, sympathy-resentment relationship towards this male fragility that seems to be a part of our culture right now. This idea that if we see men on the street corner, we have to essentially reward them or they're not going to show up to the street corner again. Right. Um, and I understand that's a reality and I understand where that comes from. And the only way to move past that is to approach it with sympathy or with empathy. But at the same time, it's just like, 
Yeah, I've walked past many protests too. I've been to many protests. I've never received pizza before, <laughs> or never thought, oh, I should feed these people. Um, yeah, before when I walked exactly. past, and um, and there is a there is a dissonance there. Brad, I just want to. Uh, was there anything else that stood out for you in in these recordings? The other voices you heard? Very much so. I think that. Um, I mean, I, Wyatt was talking largely about showing up to show accountability. And I think this is something that, um, uh, I don't know if it's too early to plug, but Calvin's doing a study group, I mean, Corey's doing a study group coming up on men examining their own patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to talk about that later, but it's a really difficult thing to understand as a man who wants to engage to, for a better world, um, for more equality and equitability. Like, how do you own your own accountability and like work against the system that you know you are accountable in um and i I love that why it started that discussion i think it's a discussion Mm -hmm. that we as men need to have over and over and over again yeah Wyatt was actually at that first study group as well so he's somebody who uh is committed to examining his own misogyny and examining his own patriarchy which i think is really important Mm -hmm. i think that with any action that we do, there needs to be as much or more theory and study put into it so Mm -hmm. that our actions are informed because especially as, and this is why I tried to get involved and really Cal reached out to me first, but we wanted to be involved with the messages of men who were organizing this rally because being uh, born male and presenting male in our entire lives, we've been taught a whole set of patriarchal uh, rules and we've been taught misogyny. So all of our thoughts and our actions are coming out of what we've been taught. So how can we go and act against something that we know is wrong, but while our own thoughts and behaviors are steeped in that? Yeah. Also, the one thing which is tied to both what you're saying that Wyatt said is that looking at the piece of Kavanaugh within ourselves and that when we think about men's violence, oftentimes people think it's some sort of, you know, monster man or like horrible horror person. And Kavanaugh is like an easy look at that, I think. And so it's important to see how it's still perpetuated in other ways that, and also kind of expanding our understanding of violence. Right. Which also gets me to what Cal said that I thought was really important. Mm -hmm. That is, this is broader than Kavanaugh that, and it was something I didn't know and it made me think about it, that so much of the conversation was around this sexual assault and rape that happened, rightly so, and that at the same time, I didn't know the stances that Kavanaugh had on other things. So it was a good reminder to me to um, also see how he also, with the things that he believes in, is oppressing other people, you know, around the healthcare thing that, Ka- that Cal mentioned too. So I thought that was important. Something uh, my partner, Willow Farrell, has said to me, um, who has also been an incredible resource for my education and supporting me as well in this, but something that she said is that like, rape culture and acting in ways that are supported or reinforce rape culture, those are just paving stones on the way to injustice or ultimately rape. And so I think the idea that mm-hmm. it's no surprise that someone who is anti-choice, it's no surprise right. that someone who is anti-welfare has these skeletons in their closet, I think they're entirely related. And I agree, I think that it is right um, that uh, Blasey Ford's suffering was central to the hearings, but it's also important to put that in context and look at his other view, uh, positions and his other viewpoints because they are all intertwined and they are all related. Um, fundamentally, I think they they just don't value women or non-cis white men um, with the same amount of respect and the same amount of um, equality that they, you know, that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. We're yeah. going to uh, go ahead, Corey. Are you going to say something? Well, yeah, I wanted to say one more thing yeah. um, about, well, Cal and why it's really because I had a conversation about um, with some men about what were your intentions coming to the group. And we talked about how you know, while we had good intent, while we had good intentions, maybe the impact wasn't so great in some ways, or this kind of conversation. And Cal talking about how someone—it's um, no surprise that Kavanaugh's behavior is the way it is because of his politics. I just have been thinking about how Kavanaugh believes that he's fighting 
for justice too. In his own mind, he thinks that he's doing what's right. And so I think it's really important to look at intentionality as subjective. And that when we talk about somebody's intention to do something, that somebody's intention can be seen as good or bad depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly important. With the other work we do, I've had a lot of conversations with scholar Sarah Deer, who's a, a Native American legal scholar. Um, and she talks about the boarding school eras and some of the um, moments of oppression throughout the history of Native Americans. Yeah. And some of the actions that were taken around the boarding school era were, came from good intentions. The idea that right. they saw a community that was struggling or suffering and let's try to improve their education, their quality of life, et cetera. But as she says, the good intentions of a racist are still racist. Right. And I think this is, I mean, again, this goes back to your group, Corey, and just education in general. Like, we need to find the ways that these things are implicit within us um, while we are acting against them. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's, it really is so important because we all see ourselves as good people in this area and want to act with good intention. And it also reminds me of the article, uh, Ivan Illich, To Hell With Good Intentions, where he goes and talks to a school who sends out missionary groups to Central and South America that really ends up being more damaging to the communities, but they're going with the aim to help. Sorry, just one more thing about <laughs> that, though, is that like um, I do agree that impact is more important than intentions, but I don't always think the two need to be put side by side or the two need to be compared. Um, I think that intentions matter in that they help identify those who are interested or invested in showing up, um, and that those folks are the ones who might have good intentions, but the impact might be misguided. Those are the folks we really need to be in dialogue with, um, rather than just shutting the door on them, disregarding their intentions completely, if that makes sense. I think we're going to take a song break, and when we come back, I'm going to do some more questioning to Corey and Brad <laughs> about patriarchy. And we also will get to the conversation about uh, this study group that's gonna be coming. So we're gonna go to a song called Men Explain Things to Me by Taco Cat, is that right, Corey? Taco Cat. Okay. Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks everyone's books for their support of this station. All right, welcome back to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. 
I'm here with Brad Heck and Anna Mil- Milani. Anna Milani. People love to say my name really fast. <laughs> Anna Milani. <laughs> and we just listened to Men Explain Things to Me by Taco Cat. Great. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Me Too, Me Too movement. So we were just listening to Brad and, and Corey talk about the rally that was organized last week in response to Kavanaugh. And one of the things we just want to make sure we talk about is that there are voices that are left out of this Me Too movement. And there has been some good online discussion around that. First off, the Me Too movement was actually begun in 2006, which I think many people don't know. And it was begun by an activist named Tarana Burke. And she founded it to initially address the sexual violence inflicted upon black women and girls. And then it was last year that actress Alyssa Milano put out the hashtag Me Too, and it was a response to Weinstein, um, the now former film producer that was accused of sexual assault and rape by dozens of women. And I think that that history is important because what we've seen is that today and around today's Me Too movement that begun actually in 2006 has left out a lot of women that it initially was organized around. So a lot of the times, um, I mean, I do a lot of work around incarceration and women, and that's definitely an area that is left out is, is the amount of women that are sexually assaulted within jails and prisons. And it's a vulnerable population that doesn't have the platform to speak about it. Um, another population is immigrant women are huge targets of sexual assault that are extremely vulnerable. There's a lot of reports of sexual violence within the fields um, and migrant workers that maybe don't have documents and so they're not in a position to be able to speak out. Um, also, just last month, McDonald workers went on strike around sexual harassment. It began in September, and it um, broke out in 10 different cities. So I think that's another good example of working women, um, working people that don't often have these bigger platforms that the Me, this current Me Too movement has looked at. Um, there's also some good stuff around trans, non-binary, uh, genderqueer, identified people whose voices are just not as heard. Uh, one thing I just wanted to read that I think is important too is that a book that I recently read is called Invisible No More, Police Violence Against Black Women and Women of Color by Andrea Ritchie. And the premise of that book is really looking at how the state and police brutality also very much affects women of color and that a lot of the talk um, really doesn't get at that issue. And so same when I link that to the Me Too movement, we often aren't, we definitely are talking about police brutality. I think that is out there um, and it's very much focused on, on men and that also women and trans women are heavily targeted by the police, especially women and trans women of color. So I'm just going to read this quote. It says, the targets of reported police sexual violence are overwhelmingly women, and typically women of color who are or are perceived to be involved in the drug or sex trades or using drugs or alcohol, as well as people with prior arrest records, immigrants, people with limited English proficiency, people with disabilities, and people who have previously been targeted for police violence. Some researchers theorize that women who are targeted for police sexual violence are considered police property and therefore fair game for sexual extortion or assaults. And so I think it's just important to bring those voices into this conversation and to figure out how do we really look at the enormous impact of of this problem on, on a lot of people's lives. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. So with that in mind, I think we can begin our conversation about um, about patriarchy and have a conversation about some of our thoughts. Yeah. Go ahead, Brad. I think just in response to what you were saying, I yeah. think it's not only that there aren't platforms in place for some of these groups. I think it's also that a lot of these groups do not have the time, energy, or support um, to even build platforms of their own. 
Um, and I think this is one thing that we need to integrate into our work as, or I need to integrate into my work as a cis straight white man who in some ways is on the top of the pyramid of a privilege, is how do I use that privilege and leverage it to help also make, lend support, lend resources, and um, help other groups uh, build platforms? And I think it's a really difficult question um, but I was reading about um, specifically the, the workers in the fast food industry and how the fast food industry tries, really tries to um, create high turnovers in their employment so that they, um, so that benefits that you get when you're employed for longer aren't, you know, if people are fired or quit and then they get to rehire that position, it keeps rates low and it keeps benefits low. Um, and a kind of um, condoned practice to keep turnover high in the fast food industry, um, a silent condoned practice is sexual harassment against women um, so that they will quit their positions. And if you, like you were saying, working folks, low-income folks, um, and and uh, migrant folks, et cetera, they not only don't have the platform, but they just don't also have the time. Um, and I think it's, I mean, I don't have answers necessarily. Um, it's something we think about a lot as documentary filmmakers is, when we are representing the voice of voice of others, how do we help um, amplify the voice without, you know, um, controlling the voice or framing the voice? And I think it's I think it's a real question that we need to integrate into all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So getting at and either one of you can answer this is <clears throat> just thinking about patriarchy and how for our listeners, how would you define it um, for people to get a just good concrete grasp on what it is? What is patriarchy? You know, thinking about some of these examples of patriarchy, it's, it's interesting defining something that you've just been talking about uh, <laughs> showing up in the world in really real, real and intense ways, in brutal ways. And I think we can basically see patriarchy as a system that uh, holds men as superior and it supports male domination over women. And to remember that this shows up in very physical ways in the workforce when when women are uh, kept from jobs or kept silent because through because of sexual assault, and this r reminds me that the system of patriarchy isn't just this belief that men hold in their heads that they're better, but that it shows up in really physical ways. Mm -hmm. Brad, I mean, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think Corey, you're totally right. As far as the like technical definition of it, I think upholding male dominancy um, and male morality, I think, is an incredibly important thing. Um, I think another way to kind of uh, think about patriarchy is to think about the ways we come in contact with patriarchy. And I think the way, a lot of the ways that we come in contact is the tools that are used to perpetuate it. And so, for example, rape culture is something which is prevalent in our society. Um, and that is not only a result of um, patriarchy, but it is also, I think, fundamentally a tool that helps to perpetuate patriarchy. And then, I mean, other ways too, as in the film industry, um, for example, 24% um, of producers are women, 14% uh, of editors are women, 10% of writers are women, 8% of directors are women, 4% of cinematography, cinematographers are women. And so as Corey was saying, I think also the way that um, we, you were talking about platforms, Anna, and I think that part of the pa one of the tools of the patriarchy is to make sure that women or non-men, um, LGBTQ folks as well, have less access to voice and to platform. Mm -hmm. And what would you say, thinking of this phrase, silent rules of patriarchy, first of all, I mean, what do you think of that phrase and what it is, and how do those become present in your life or, or those you see around you? Well, <clears throat> I, I was thinking about what Brad was just saying and how, how we grow up or see patriarchy around us and the institutions that patriarchy is taught to us through. For many people, religious institutions, and for almost everybody, schooling institutions and, and family institutions. And for me, I was taught, whether sometimes explicitly or other times in just given the message silently, that God created man to rule the world and God created ma men to... We literally, in the church that I grew up in, have a patriarchal system where men gain certain levels of priesthood and make decisions about the church and have, you know, kind of, it's always men who have the hotline to God kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Mm -hmm. So 
in that sense, men are fundamentally in power and in control. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, in, I, um, in addition to that, there's the, this idea of us being male-centric. Um, we're encouraged when we step into a room to either take leadership um, and in moments that we're not taking leadership, that we're there in a supportive role, role we're encouraged to fix the problem. Um, and sometimes neither of that is appropriate um, whatsoever. Uh, last year, I was in a strange and unique opportunity to compete for a job against my partner. Um, we're both in the film industry, and we were both applying for the same job. And going through the interview process, which was extensive and lengthy, um, in parallel, really highlighted some of the on-the-ground ways that, that um, the patriarchy presents itself. Um, if there was something I didn't know, if there was something I didn't have experience with, there w- I was just given the benefit of the doubt that I would figure it out or that I would adapt or that I understood it um, on, a, on a basic level. Whereas my partner, who is a woman, um, she was challenged every single step of the way. She was challenged on the experience that she had that overlapped with the job, and if she ever revealed that there was something she didn't have experience with, she was challenged on it um, and assumed not to, uh, um, not to be able to adapt to it. Um, and I think these are just, I mean, benefit of the doubt, I think, is one of the, huge, one of the largest um, uh, silent rules, is that men are given the benefit of the doubt, women are not. Right, and men are validated for no other reason other than being men, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, because I, even as a teacher in fourth grade, during a science lesson or any lesson, really, whatever, and I ask people what their thoughts are, it's so often boys who are ready to speak and will speak for like long lengths of time about something that they really know nothing about and other kids in the classroom will just nod their heads and accept it as truth. And I just see that as kind of a a microcosm, you could say, of the world that we live in where men are just blabbering all the time about something and it goes to that song, Men Explain Things to Me, where men just talk and talk and are just are validated all the time, where girls in my class are less likely to speak up, even if they are right, because they're not sure that they're, that they're going to have the right answer. Mm-hmm. So women are silenced in that way, and men are too. I've even seen that in reverse recently, where there's a woman in the class who speaks up vocally and, and, and passionately, um, and I have gotten complaints, even though it's not more space than the men take up, I've gotten spa- uh, complaints that she's taking up too much space or, uh-huh. or controlling the conversation. And I think both of what you're talking about goes back to something you said around how these definitions of rape culture, but thinking about patriarchy on, along a spectrum. That, And it kind of ties into my next question. These sorts of issues you see maybe in the classroom or in a job interview like you were talking about, and that the most violent form of patriarchy is the actual like killing, murder, and rape of women um, or gender queer people. And so one of the things I saw in my work at the Women's Freedom Center, I would do lots of different workshops for many different ages um, on the college level, at the workplace with seventh and eighth graders, um, high schoolers. And one of the things that was consistent was a a defensiveness or sort of like that's not my problem like I would never hurt a woman I would never rape someone I would never assault my partner Um, therefore it's not really my issue Um, so I'm curious what both of you think about this idea of I'm a good guy it's not my problem how would you answer that um there is so much to unpackage in that statement. Um, I understand that statement, and I want to have sympathy with that statement, um, but there are like multiple levels to unpackage there. One is this idea that fundamentally the truth from that statement is based on the fact that you have to be a perpetrator or a victim to be invested in a social injustice, um, and I just don't believe that, no matter whether we're talking about gender or racism or any form of inequality and injustice. Um, the other is that you know there is a quote by Adrienne Marie Brown, um, which I really appreciate, which is, art is not neutral. It either upholds or disrupts the status quo, advancing or regressing justice. And I don't fundamentally believe in inaction. I think that even if we are not directly perpetuating these hyperbolic forms of violence, they're not hyperbolic, these dramatic forms of violence, extreme forms of violence, um, we are still benefiting from, complicit, and upholding um, the status quo. And by upholding the status quo, by remaining silent, we are perpetuating this injustice. Yeah, and what, I mean, 
what a dismissive thing to do. I'm a good guy. This isn't my problem. It's like, it goes back to me to this subjectivity of what is good and what is bad and what's the right intentions and what's not. And I feel like men are also taught that women or that other people are supposed to do the work for them. And so to say, I'm a good guy, that's, that's not my problem is a patriarchal statement in itself because it says I'm not, I don't have to be included in doing this work. Mm -hmm. Definitely. When we think going from there, we think, okay, men are a part of the problem. Would you say, and this kind of leads into some of the action stuff that y'all are doing, but thinking about male violence as a men's issue for men to analyze and discuss, where do you think you go from, you know, doing something on the street and then moving forward about what, what we should do, what all of us should do. You know, when I was organizing the action, I was getting a lot of feedback and conversation on Facebook, which fundamentally is where the organizing started. Um, and I think I was getting a lot of concern from women in the community who were worried that the action would be us just showing up, patting ourselves on the back, identifying ourselves as good guys, um, and then moving on. Um, and I think it is so critical that um, future action happens from that. Um, we had a debriefing meeting last week, um, and some of us who showed up to the protest. And from that debriefing meeting, it really seemed like there were three, pr um, three prongs of the next approach. Um, one of the critical prongs was doing um, the uh, study group like Corey is leading, this idea that the misogynist action, you know, the benevolent actions of a misogynist will still be misogynist. And so we really need to um, examine um, our own internal misogyny and make sure that the way that we act, um, we have ways to evaluate the impact and they line up with our intentions. Um, the other was actually there was an overwhelming request from the group for basically a men's support group, an idea that we could get together and talk about um, the emotional impact and um, the impact of, patri uh, of the patriarchy on ourselves in a way that does, we are doing the work, that does not burden um, women with the emotional work that's needed uh, to talk about our emotional, the emotional impact on ourselves. And then the third is to continue acting, um, okay. so to find a way to continue showing up. And Corey, I know that you, you did this study group last year, and, um, which was part of Brattleboro Solidarity, and it was called Men, Patriarchy, and Capitalism. And I know that you're thinking about doing that again. Why do you feel that that was important to bring in topics around patriarchy and capitalism? First of all, I, I just want to say this is an important group for men to do. And this is a group that is close to uh, people who are born men and are perceived as men in the world because we've been taught patriarchy, we've been taught misogyny, and we need to understand what patriarchy is. First of all, we need to have the language to be able to talk about it, and we need to get out some of that stuff that's in our heads without burdening women or everybody else in the world, right? So having this space for men to do that, I think is really important. So the group was titled uh, Men, Patriarchy, and Capitalism because it's, it, sort of covered all of those things for a space for men to get out some of those thoughts in their head and for other men to be able to analyze and discuss it with, you know, leaving egos aside and just sort of throwing some of the stuff on the table and doing that work. And while I think it's important to understand patriarchy and how it manifests in our life and to be able to break apart some of the silent rules of patriarchy and break out of that man box that we've been put in, it's also important to understand how patriarchy functions under capitalism. Patriarchy is an essential act, aspect of capitalism, and it's so connected to that uh, system of production. While patriarchy also existed before capitalism, I think that it's important for men to like really go into studying the specifics of what it looks like under our system of production. Well, I think, Brad, the example you used when you were talking about that, I was like, oh, that is a perfect example <clears throat> of how I understand uh, patriarchy under capitalism. And you were talking about the McDonald's workers and you were saying mm -hmm. how the tool to keep them, like the turnover and to keep wages down, the tool that was used is, or one tool that is used is sexual harassment. 
Um, and sexual violence has been used throughout history as a weapon of control. But the essence of what the McDonald's is about is profit. And so wage labor, which is what the McDonald's workers are getting, is a tenant of capitalism. That is, you have to have wage labor under capitalism. And that, to me, is that dehumanizing aspect, which is why I agree it's important to understand how patriarchy functions and what does it look like under capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited that in your group, Corey, I'm sure we're going to go deep and kind of look at the more invisible ones, but there are plenty of on the surface visible examples of that, including difference in wages between women who hold the same position as men, including benefits, the fact that um, childcare benefits are into, um, are given to women in a way that they're not given to men, which reinforce the gender bias in the home and in the domestic situation. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's just, it's, I think it is a deep um, and rich vein to, to dive into and study. Right. And another part of the group that I thought was really interesting is looking at how, how women's reproductive labor is controlled by men in the transition of feudalism into capitalism, where while patriarchy is partially what's in our that this mindset and ideas about or attitudes about women or this kind of thing but all of these mindsets or rules or things that we're taught are also masking and justifying women's unpaid labor women's housework women all of these things that are essential for for maximum profits to exist mm -hmm. well yeah i mean i think what you're also saying is that I find in a lot of the work that I do that class is invisible. It's not part of the discussion. And um, I know we were talking about Amazon the other day. So Amazon just raised the, their wage to $15 an hour, right? So great. And like I'm definitely for workers getting more money. They should. But we should never forget that they're still exploited workers and that that is not to me the answer to like undermining that system or to to see that Jeff Bezos is still making a ton of money off these the exploitation of workers and so to me that's sort of how it ties in is that patriarchy we need to um, talk about it and we're often mostly focused on the behaviors that come out of patriarchy and that we also need to be looking at how it also is necessary within capitalism and to capitalist functioning when we're looking at wage labor and, and how wage labor dehumanizes people. Yeah, so even with the minimum wage to $15, the ratio of workers to Jeff Bezos' hourly pay is 1 to 150,000 or something like that. So it's... it's Well, I mean, yeah, and I think both of what you're saying is spot on. <clears throat> Capitalism relies upon exploitation to uh, survive, and I think so does patriotism. Mm -hmm. It's both how they survive, and it's also how they thrive. Mm -hmm. um, they're fundamental aspects of both. Mm -hmm. So we are coming to an end here, so I just want to make sure that um, if there's anything else that you want to say, um, or Corey, with either of these things that are moving forward and what maybe people want to know or our listeners could take away. Yeah, Brad, I want to give you a chance to talk about the groups that you're and the film series that we talked about. Um, and I'll just say that if you are interested in, in joining this men, patriarchy and capitalism study group, that's going to start November 8th and it'll be four Thursdays or actually three Thursdays in November, skipping uh, day of mourning on the 22nd of November. And we'll start again the first Thursday of December. Excellent. Um, yeah, I think th the dates are not solidified yet, but basically out of the um, debriefing session that happened after the rally, there will be um, two additional groups that come out of it. Um, one in addition to Corey's. One that is a men's support group that I think is going to start out meeting bi-monthly. Um, this is a drop-in group. You can show up even... Bi-weekly, though. Sorry, bi-weekly. Yeah. What did I say? Bi-monthly. Bi <laughs> Twice monthly, bi-weekly. Um, <laughs> um, we'll and, put this on Facebook. <laughs> um, and you can show, the important thing about this group is unlike the study group where it's important that you have read all the material so that you can be informed in the discussions and that you've been to all of the uh, meetings, this one is a drop-in where you get to just stop by and talk about what's up for you. Um, emotionally. Also, Corey was talking about it, but I think that it's important that to have the two groups separate, 
because I think to do the intellectual work, you we don't want people to be taught, you know, pouring out their feelings when we're trying to analyze it article or something you know yeah Yeah. and so this would be a great group to go read the articles for Corey's group and then come and talk about the feelings and let them pour out in the other group absolutely i know we have like two minutes but one of those silent rules of patriarchy that i kept it was in my mind and i wanted to bring up is that men are not allowed to share their emotions so men are holding in so much and i know i experienced that as men and i think many of us are but when men are victimized or or brutalized in that way and just taught you have to be tough. It's that really builds up. Yeah. And, and it has consequences for both you and for the world around you, for absolutely. people coming in contact because with you. Because then you turn into take, the victimizer, exactly. you turn into the brutalizer. Exactly. And so I do think it's important for, for men to get some of that out. Um, and then in addition to that, there is a film screening that's going to come out, which we'll also paste, post to Facebook, um, where we watch films that identify issues of reproductive justice um, and issues of rape culture um, and basically patriarchy overall. Is there, uh, I'm just curious, is there a film that you've picked for the first film? The first film, I think, is going to be Break the Silence, which is a film made by my partner, Willow Farrell, oh, yeah. that profiles uh, 16 Southern Vermont women and their uh, reproductive um, and sexual health experiences. Mm-hmm. And basically... Um, we will watch this screen the film and then there will be discuss, le- discussions afterwards um, on all issues that surround the films. Great. And I just want to say real quick and listening to both of you around like the uh, emotional support group, the reading is that I actually see them tied anyway. For me, the more political work I do, the more I like channel the emotions into what I think could be um, good for bettering the world around me and, and figuring out what the world should be like. So I think that's why there's essential and there's a relationship between the two of those. Okay. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Brad Heck, for joining us today. This is Indigo Radio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. And we're going to end with a song by Sonic Youth called Cool Thing. Just want you to know that we can still be friends. Let everybody know.